I keep a close watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine, I walk the line And I know uh, this is being recorded and Pastor Joe is going to listen to it. He gave me a hard time about picking that song. And he said, we're picking classic rock songs. Actually, I'm insinuating that tone because this was by email. But as Bruce can tell you, I really like to attribute tone to what Joe says in email. So here's how I read it. We're picking classic rock songs. And I typed back, but it's Johnny Cash. We're done. It's Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash for the win. It's all right. Good morning. I am so excited to be here with you guys today in this capacity. It's um, a blessing for me. I'm anxious about today. I'm excited about today. I had a hard time preparing for today. I have no problem saying that since we're all friends. Um, and I'll tell you the truth anyway. But we're going to dive right in. For the past few months, we have been studying the book of Galatians. And if you remember from being here, Galatians was... Uh, Galatia was the first missionary journey that the Apostle Paul went on. So it was certainly very, very dear to his heart. The churches, that group of people, they, he loved them. And after he left that area, this other group of people moved in, and they were called the Judaizers. And what Paul found out that they were doing was that they were distorting the gospel message that he preached to them. So it was no longer just about Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus was no longer enough. Because in addition to his work on the cross, you also had to follow the law. And there were all kinds of things that you had to do. And this is what this group is advocating. A return in addition to the cross, you have to return back to the law. And Paul finds out about it and he writes a letter. He writes a letter that is a strong rebuke to the Galatians for falling away from the gospel message that he originally preached. And today, we find ourselves in the second half of chapter 5. If you were here last week, Joe took us through the first half. And really, after much discussion of what the gospel is all about, after four and a half chap chapters of doctrinal instruction, we finally get into chapter 5. And Paul starts to give us um, some practical application of the truth that he has been teaching us. I hate this thing. No offense. Can I say hate in church? I think I just did. It's almost like you should be Madonna to wear this. Clearly, Joe is more like that. I am not. I get as many digs as I can when he's not here. So, last week, Pastor Joe talked about the impact that the gift of faith has on us as a community and what it looks like in our community, that practical application. But this week, the Apostle Paul talks to us on a personal level. What does the gift of faith mean to us personally? And what, is our, um, what are our resulting actions and our resulting behaviors? So this week, we are in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. I'm going to read them this morning. He says, But I say... 
walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. About 13 years or so ago, I came back after church, back to church after being gone for a long time. I was raised in my church. My family was truly a typical church family. We were there all the time. And as a kid, that's really a lot of fun when you're there all the time, when your dad drags you for a deacon meeting and your mom drags you because she's a deaconess, and then you have all your other church stuff throughout the week. But then some things in life happen, and maybe there are reasons that we stop going to church. I know some of you in this room have, have been through a similar situation. But sure enough, about 13 years or so ago, I was kicked square in the rear end by the Holy Spirit one Sunday morning, and I said, okay, I'll get up, and I will go to church. Actually, it took two kickings. It really did. About an hour apart. I'm not lying. It was such an, I will never forget that moment. But I go to church, and I, I go back, and sure enough, sooner or later, I start serving in the worship band every week. And for as much as I felt like I was connected by using the talents and the gifts that God had given me, because I was serving all the time, I didn't, I wasn't really connected to God the Father. And I was still struggling every day with sin and with failure and that pattern and that behavior, right? And you sin and then you fail and you feel like crap and you sin and you fail and you feel like crap. And it's this mire that you're stuck in. One of the pastors at the church was doing a baptism. So I had this super good idea that I should be rebaptized. You can laugh. It's okay. I was rebaptized. Now, I was baptized for the first time when I was about 11, I think. If I don't remember, and I hope my mother doesn't listen to this because she will probably kill me if I, t if I don't remember when I was baptized. But I think it was around 11, and I was a Baptist, so that means we were dunked, and you're held under. And if you get Brother Al to do it, he will do a funny bit about come out foul demon. No? Go get some coffee. That's a funny one. But seriously, I felt like I needed to be rebaptized because that would be the magic cure to connect me back to God the Father. Like baptism was some sort of magical thing that automatically would transform my heart. Plus, so my heart's going to be transformed because I'm dunked one more time, plus I'm going to church all the time, and I'm serving all the time. Those are the things that are going to connect me with God the Father. But guess what happened? 
It was not magic. I was still disconnected. I still struggled with sin, and I still struggled with failure all the time. And sure, I tried really, really hard to do the right thing. And if any of you know me well, you know that when I say I try hard, that legitimately means I'm going to try hard because for me in my life and the way God has wired me, failure is not an option. Driven, I will succeed. And I was not succeeding, and I was frustrated, and I tried hard to do all the right things. I knew what the Bible said, don't lie, cheat, or steal. And especially if you know me, these ones are very personal to me. Honor your father and your mother. Still, nothing, no connection at all. And I think our passage today deals with life after being saved, and it speaks to exactly what I was going through. And, and I think a lot of people sometimes go through this. It addresses this question that many of us ask, what about our ongoing struggles with sin? And it's tough, right, because we have learned through this series, and Pastor Joe has learned us in the past, and it was even in our scripture verse for today, we learned that our old self, our old slave to sin self, was crucified and died with Christ, right? And that separation and sin is broken, and we are no longer separated from an eternity from the Father. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the desire within our flesh to sin goes away. And if anything, I don't know if you were like me at all, it's, the struggle was, was harder. It was so much harder. And see, what I didn't realize at the time is that the inevitable effect of true salvation is this— once we're saved, once we're free from the bondage of sin and an eternity of separation from the Father, and the Holy Spirit comes into us, because that's the deal, that's the gift, the Holy Spirit comes into us, the battle, the battle between the Spirit and the flesh begins. The battle begins. Your body is like the Thunderdome, seriously, all the time. And the flesh, let's make sure we understand, it isn't my skin. The flesh is my old, rebellious spirit, the one that was always in me. And it has its claws in me. If you think about how a snake bites, right? Why are a snake's teeth curved in? So you can't get away. And that's my old nature that is clinging to me. And that's what the spirit is battling against. And Paul talks about this in verse 17. He says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Really. I do know that for sure. And Paul gives us a lengthy list of the desires of the flesh, a list of these things that we are battling against on the inside, right? It's sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, dissension, fits of anger, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then he says, and things like these. Things like these meaning this list is not an exhaustive list, and I am living proof. I will tell you if you are ever interested in what it was that I was struggling with, because it's not up there in that list. So in a very real sense, brothers and sisters, we live a truly conflicted life. Our life is conflicted. As Christians in earthly bodies, 
not yet fully glorified, we still possess desires that are absolutely 100% contrary to God. 100% contrary to him and completely, completely agreeable to sin. The opposite desires dwell within us. Fleshly desires, holy desires. We're to pursue one and turn our backs on the other. We're to encourage the one and to reject the other. One leads to death. The other one leads to life. It is a battle all of the time, and it is real, and it is scary. And spoiler alert, it's a lifelong battle. It doesn't ever go away. It's kind of depressing, but it's not. I'll tell you why. Paul's point is that the Christian cannot overcome The Christian cannot overcome the desire of the flesh by remaining under the law. The Judaizers were advocating submission to the law as the way to fight the desires of the flesh. I can read that list again to you. Do you think somebody giving you an arbitrary list of laws that is not personal to you whatsoever is going to make you fight against jealousy, sexual immorality, division, impurity, dissension, envy, strife. No, it's not. It cannot. It is not capable of helping you when it comes time for that battle. But Paul advocated something very real. He advocated one option and one option only, submission to the Spirit. Over and over again in our verses today, we hear Paul talk to us about the Spirit. In verse 16, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. In verse 22, we learn about the fruit, fruit of the Spirit. In verse 25, he tells us to keep in step with the Spirit. And if you remember from when I was here, I think about a month or so ago, we talked about a process called sanctification. And sanctification is the journey, once we have been justified, we have been saved, our journey as Christians of becoming more Christ-like, more mature in our faith, disciples, that process is called sanctification. And that process is not anything that we can ever accomplish on our own, especially when we are battling the things on that list. Do you need me to read it again? Please don't make me. And upon our salvation, we receive the Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to fight our battles because God knows that we cannot do it alone. And here's why God is so good. One of the reasons why God is so good. If he loves us enough to save us, he loves us enough to help us out while we're still here by giving us the Holy Spirit. God is really good like that. Assuming all of what I just said is true, Let's go back to the story I told about my lack of connection, my re-dunking. No change. How I continued to struggle. See, it's super interesting because I have no doubt that I was legitimately saved. But part of that deal was me getting the Holy Spirit. Right? And here's how I felt. Where the heck was the Holy Spirit for me when it came to my battle, because it felt like I was alone. I felt like I was alone. And here's why I felt like that. If the works of the flesh look like envy, fits of anger, dissension, division, and strife, 
what do the fruit of the Spirit, this Spirit that we receive, what do His fruit look like, the Spirit that we're supposed to walk in and be led by? Because I didn't really see them in my life, possibly caught glimpses here and there, but my life was an evidence of, the, of this fruit, this Spirit that we allegedly get. It looks like what we see in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to make sure that we understand the fruit of the Spirit because I think there are some ways that we as Christians can get this really wrong. First, and I like to tell people why we're wrong. I think that's on the other list, (laughs) not the good list. I know it is. Clue one. Here, so here's how we can get it wrong. We do not get to pick and choose the things on that list like it is some kind of fruit of the spirit buffet. It is not a buffet. We're not at the Der Dutchman standing in front of the hot bar, walking up to it and saying, I'm going to take some peace. I'm going to take patience. I'm going to take kindness. And I'm going to walk back to the table And I'm going to say to my friend who I'm at dinner with, by the way, they just brought out a fresh helping. There's a fresh batch of self-control. You should go get yourself some. (laughs) And then she says to me when she walks up there, I'm going to get you another helping of kindness. (laughs) No, it's not like that at all. We don't get to pick, we don't get to pick and choose which fruit we get. And notice, notice that it's the fruit of the Spirit. My mother and I, we got into a little fight about this last night. They aren't, she said fruits. I'm like, fruit. Fruits. Fruit of the Spirit. It is not plural. It is singular, suggesting the unified Christ-like character that the Holy Spirit produces. And guess what? We all, every single one of us, we get all nine delicious flavors. We get All of them, and they are like little seeds that are planted in us by the Holy Spirit when we are saved. And like little seeds, we have to water them to help them grow. And while there are several ways throughout our process of sanctification that we can water these little seeds of fruit and make them grow, I believe that there are two primary ways. And to finish my story, these are the things that I was missing These two things are what I was missing personally in my life and were keeping me from being led by the Spirit. And as soon as I started doing them, my life truly changed. And it's communicating with God. Two ways. We read his Bible, we read and study and we learn his word, we immerse ourselves in it until it becomes as much a part of us as our skin is, and we pray. You see, when we come to the Bible and we let God speak to us, it changes us. It transforms us. And when we let God speak to us through his word and then His word continues to speak into us and our mind is being changed and transformed. We are watering those seeds. 
You see, we come to the Bible and we water those seeds by learning that God's plan has always been about salvation through faith from the very first book. And we learn when we read our Bible and we water that seed that because he loved us so much, he sent his son to save us. And in the Bible, we get to learn the truth about his son. We get to learn what life was like for Jesus, who was both fully God and fully man. And brothers and sisters, the truth of his humanity is just important for us to hold on to as the truth of his deity. And we can learn that and read by reading and understanding the Bible. And through studying God's word, we learn that Jesus' humanity is displayed in these ways. He was born as a baby from a human mother, and her name was Mary. He has a human body. He has a human mind. We learn that Jesus became weary. We learn and we understand that he became thirsty and hungry. I become weary. I become thirsty. I become hungry. We learn that he experienced a full range of human emotions such as amazement and weeping and sorrow. He lived on this earth just like we do. We learn that when we read and we study our Bible, and if we continue to read and study, we learn one more thing about him. We learn that he was tempted in all ways, which we learn in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. We read our Bible and we learn and we study it, because it's not just enough to learn it, you've gotta read it and you've gotta study it and understand it. And see, when we do that, we learn that we have a savior who we can truly identify with across every single level. We read and we learn that while Jesus lived on this earth, he was literally the fruit of the Spirit in action. There wasn't seven of him running around, or nine, excuse me. There was one Jesus, and he was all of the fruit in one magnificent person. And we learn how he lived and how he interacted and who he interacted with. And we learn that he teaches us that love and grace and mercy and forgiveness are the ways that we treat other people. And it's not just the people who look like those of us who are in this room. That would be white people, moderate to upper class. It's all people no matter how different than us they are. And church, clearly I get excited about this, and this was transformative for me, and I could go on and on and on, and I don't want to ruin the surprise for you or the joy for you. I want you to communicate with God, to water your seed by picking up your Bible, and you read it, and you will study it, and you will immerse yourself in it because it will bear fruit that is joy and peace and patience, and kindness, because it's all in there waiting for you to read it and to study it. Hand in hand with immersing ourselves in God's word is daily prayer. Daily prayer is fellowship. Literally, it is daily fellowship and communion with heavenly dad. Daily prayer gives us an opportunity to share all aspects of our lives with him. And yes, I know he knows that is not the point. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to tell him he loves you. He wants to hear from you. Yes, he knows, but it's not the same as having somebody pick up the phone and tell you. 
Parents, do you like it? Even if you know what's going on with your kid, do you like it when your kid picks up the phone and calls you and tells you what's going on? Do you? Seriously. I, I don't have kids. <laughs> no offense. Baby's super cute, though. Yes, daily prayer gives us the ability to tell, to talk to God. Daily prayer gives us the chance to express our gratitude for all of the things that he has given us. It gives us the platform to confess our sin, which we are called to do, but at the same time, ask him for help, and he is waiting to help us. We water the seeds that way. Lord, I'm sinning and I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Yeah. Daily prayer is a way to acknowledge who is really in control of our lives. Daily prayer helps to water those seeds, helps that fruit to grow. I read a story about a young man who met Christ after many years of life in this world, on his own, doing his own thing. While everyone, uh, he went to his very first prayer meeting, and while everybody was up and they were speaking these beautiful flowery prayers, you know the ones that I'm talking about, right? He sat there, and finally when it was his turn, he got up, and this was his prayer. He said, Lord, this is Mel. I'm not sure whether you remember me or not, I met you last Tuesday night. I just want to say, well, thank you for changing my life. And he sat down. That was it. I tell you the story about Mel because I think a lot of us are really intimidated about praying. We have no idea what to say. We're afraid to say the wrong thing. We're afraid that we're going to sound really stupid. We're afraid that if we really do be honest with God, he's going to be angry. But guess what? He already knows anyway. Or maybe we hear people at church pray and we think, wow, that person is such a good prayer. I would never be able to pray like them. Or maybe like this could have been Mel's case. Thank God it wasn't. He hears people at church praying and they, this person thinks to themselves, wow, that person likes to hear the sound of their own voice. I hope I don't ever pray like that. But regardless, some, we just don't pray. True prayer is honest and it is humble, and it is personal, and here's the most important thing that you have to get right about prayer. This is really important. You have to do it. That's it. No formula, no magic. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He just wants you to talk to him, and he wants you to talk to him every day. So you're watering your seeds, right? You're watering the seeds. They're communicating with God. And again, there are other things that happen along the way, but reading God's word, I can't tell you enough the impact that reading God's word and praying will have on your life. So you're watering and you're learning and you're growing and your old nature is going to be like, rah, 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 not going to be very happy with you and it is bound to rear its ugly head. But the spirit is within you to be there to guide you and to lead you, which makes it easier for us to keep in step 
with the Spirit. That's the last thing that the Apostle Paul says to us. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. So, practically speaking, here is what keeping in step with the Spirit looks like. He always leads his people by the same means in the same direction. It is towards love and towards joy. God's Spirit will always lead us in the direction of peace and patience. He leads us to be kind and good and faithful and gentle with others. His leading will always lead you towards self-control. And if we are going any other direction than what I just described, that is not the shepherding spirit of Christ who is leading you. When we do all of that other stuff in verses 19 to 21, don't worry, I won't read the list again. I will spare you. We can never blame that kind of behavior on the Holy Spirit. Never, ever, ever. We can never say, the Spirit led me to go out and get drunk and beat up some guy because he gave me a dirty look. Can't. We can never say that the Spirit led me to cheat on my spouse and run off with someone else. We can never say, the Spirit led me to spread really horrible rumors about this girl at work who got the same job that I applied for, but I deserved more than she did. It's not the spirit. That is not the spirit at all. That is just the flesh, and that is just us gratifying the desires of our flesh. And we can't blame the devil. When people say, oh, the devil made me do it. No, he did not. No, he did not. It's all on you and me. It is our, it is us making a choice. The devil may have brought the temptation to us and it's right there at our feet. But he cannot make us do anything. Why? Because the power of sin has been broken. We are set free. He has no dominion over us whatsoever. We are no longer enslaved to every passion that he brings our way. So then, friends, what does that mean? It is our choice. I'm going to read as we close one last verse for you. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. As Christians, we have been set free from the slavery to sin. We have been made recipients of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit dwells within us. So when temptation is right in front of you, remember, you have the seeds, you have the fruit of the Spirit, which you are continuing to water and grow all throughout your life. It is not one and done. You are talking with him, you are communicating him, with him, and we must discipline ourselves to live in obedience to the leading of the Spirit and God within us. Here's the tie. We must discipline ourselves to walk the line. Keep a close watch heart on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. It's not just me walking that line. It's the Spirit who is with us 
leading us and guiding us and urging us, loving us and protecting us. And in that spirit, we will bear much fruit.